welcome to the MindChimp Podcast. Okay, welcome to the MindChimp Podcast. How are we doing? I'm really good. Thanks for having me on. No, 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 the pleasure's all mine. It's um, it's a long time coming, right? We have been talking about it for about six months, I think. Yeah, I reckon so. Maybe maybe a touch longer. But anyway, we digress already. Um, <laughs> so, first thing I need you to do for me, Kate, is I need you to tell me five numbers, if you can, please, from one to a hundred. Oh, this is exciting. Uh, seven, yep. 23, 42, 61, 95. Awesome. We'll come back to them a little bit later on down the line. So, with all my guests, Kate, the first thing I do is ask them to give me a bit of a logline. Um, can you remember what yours is? It's something I really enjoy about your podcast. And when I listen to them, I was saying, oh, what would I say? So actually coming on here, I had to think about it. So I came up with, I am a collector and connector of people and stories. A collector and connector of people and stories? I think I just woke my Alexa up then. <laughs> Smart <laughs> That's what I came up with. Okay. So ex- explain that to me then. So I think my role, I mean, I think you said that we might get into some of like my career and journey and things. It, I guess it isn't very straightforward or very black and white. And also, I don't know that I just wanted to define myself in my logline by my job. Okay. So I tried to think about what I'm like in my personal life as well I mean Gemma Patterson Nee Critchley talks about you know work being more like normal life and I think that yes I think that work what I do for a living has always kind of bled into my personal um who I am so but I don't necessarily just want to define myself by my job okay so so let's just take um the connector out of the way for a second yeah so collector what can we so what how in what way i i I think that i i really like people okay and i once did one of these personality profiling you know quizzes tests at work and it was one of these uh it was it was a while ago when i worked for for a vendor and it was one of these you know how does the dynamic of the team fit together and how do all the different personalities work together and they had never seen anybody with such a high score for being sociable. I was I was literally off the chart. And um, that might not surprise anybody that, that knows me. Um, but I like, I, I, I like to co- collect people as I go through life. And I used to have a teacher when I was at school that used to say, if you can count five true friends, then in your life, then you're really lucky. And I have got more than that without wanting to you know humble brag it or whatever but I yeah I like to you know I collected you for example like you're 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 in now you're in my collection that's it so I just I like people to be interesting I like people who challenge me I like people who support me um I think that especially probably working from home and working remotely I think that's even more important probably latterly in my life because otherwise I could sit here all day and maybe not talk to people <laughs> and that would be something that I would struggle with quite a lot so so obviously obviously I know you you know me but so why do you think 
Why do you think you are so social? Where do you think that comes from? I think it's just in your personality or or it's not really. I think, you know, I mean, obviously a lot of these Myers-Briggs things have been debunked over time. But yeah. I think that, um, you know, if you're introverted, you're introverted. If you're extroverted, you're, you're extroverted. It's not to say that you can't be one or the other. And I think I've got a friend who describes herself as something like the most extroverted introvert that she knows or something <laughs> like that. But I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think it's just always been my, my personality. I think I've always liked ever since I was a kid. And now I'm a mum. I've got two kids and they both absolutely love being with their friends. And, you know, just over the Christmas holidays, had to make sure that we had sort of meetups and play dates scheduled in because they're, you know, they're desperate to kind of hang out with their, their mates and they're only two and six. Oh, wow. So I think it's just, yeah, probably just in my personality. So have, have you always been like that? Is that something kind of where you've come into? Or have you kind of been like that in, throughout you know, school and stuff? Or... I think so, yeah. I was talking to um, somebody earlier about school and I was saying, you know, I always feel really sorry for people who had a bad time at school. And that's a common thing that you hear. But we were talking about it and I just had such a... All I remember from school is having fun. All right. I'm sure okay. they were boring lessons and I'm sure, you know, there were some physics lessons that weren't all that exciting. <laughs> but yeah, all I remember is having a good time and laughing and yeah, even the learning was fun. wasn't just messing about. I was quite good at school. Um, but yeah, I think that's always just been there. All right, cool. So, so I mean, while we're in school, I guess, obviously, you know, when, when you had the teacher come up to go, Kate, what do you want to be when you grow up? What what would you what would you say to the teacher? Well, I ruled out being a digger driver. That was my first ambition, <laughs> as as my mum um, always likes to to tell people. And then I wanted to be a professional footballer. But when uh, when those two fell by the wayside, I wanted to be a journalist. All right. Okay. So, so and then. Um, again, one of these sort of test things that you do when you're doing your GCSEs or whatever, um, it came out that journalist was high up the list, but marketing came out as a possibility as well. So then as I, and marketing and advertising, I think it was at the time, show my age maybe. Um, and then when it came to looking for university courses, when I was in sixth form, um, <laughs> that I don't know if I should say this but um I got a lot of advice about trying to get into English courses which is what you needed to do journalism there wasn't really like journalism courses you know it was kind of English and then on at that time um and everyone said oh you need kind of three A's to get in and I was thinking oh I'm not gonna get three A's <laughs> You know, and um, so I started looking at some of the marketing and advertising courses as maybe a slightly more realistic option. I mean, actually, I did write in my A-levels. I didn't get three A's. But um, yeah, and that's how I got into what I do now, because I went to Aston and did a marketing degree. So so I guess, yeah, I mean, from a from a, a digger driver to being into marketing, that's it's quite a leap. Where where did the digger seg- driver come from? It's a segue. Uh, oh, that was, I was tiny, but I was just, uh, I was quite tomboy when I was little. So diggers, footballs. Yeah, that was 
and all my all my sort of best friends when I was younger were all lads. So I wanted to be George from the Famous Five. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? <laughs> so yeah, but like I suppose the journalist thing comes back to the stories thing as well. So I do like understanding people's stories. You know, I love reading like silly lists of things that people will put on Facebook about themselves, answering random questions. I love to understand those. And some of the reason why I like your podcast so much is because, yeah, I'm nosy, basically. (laughs) And, you know, you get some really interesting details out of people. So I think that's always been something that I've, I've had all the way through life. And I think that's something that I, in my current role, I spend a lot of time understanding stories about what organizations are doing or what people are doing um and i love that element of what i do so i guess you know obviously me and probably a large percentage of our should know exactly who you are but there's probably some people who don't so kind of with a smooth segue from the marketing maybe you could give us a bit of a whistle stop to of kind of yeah like in your professional career kind of where you've come from to kind of where where you are right now i guess So I went to university to do marketing um, and really enjoyed it. I did a year in industry. It was a compulsory part of my degree. Uh, And I did a year working for Waitrose, um, part of the John Lewis partnership. And they offered me a job after graduation. It was really good. I laugh now looking back. It was really good money at the time. I didn't really have a concept of what a good, good wage was but I turned it down and went traveling uh, instead um, as per so many people do and then I came back and uh, my now husband wasn't my husband at the time um, he was in the RAF so he got posted to a different place which was uh, Wiltshire and so I started looking for jobs nearby and wanted a marketing job because that was my degree and went to work for a company called QA, who a lot of people in the industry will know as a huge provider of traditionally IT training. Um, but they've diversified obviously a lot over the years. They're still an absolutely huge company now. You know, um, one of the one of the biggest really, and they do all sorts of project management. They do a lot of digital stuff now as well. And so that was how I got into this wonderful world of training slash learning and development so I I started off life there and then I went to work for what is now uh, Calidus from there and that's really how I got into the learning technology side of things Um, and I did um, I did three and a half years there and that was where I suppose things started to open up really Um, it's I met a lot of people uh, doing that role I worked with some some really great managers um, and colleagues and everyone was very uh, generous I think in terms of you know sort of networking and introducing me to people you know I mean we're prepping for learning technologies now as as we sit here learning technologies 2020 and I think this is my 16th year wow so it's pulling a face consecutive year of learning technologies, which is terrifying, really, um, because QA used to exhibit there back in the day as well. So that was one of my very first ever um, experiences of a trade show uh, in a professional role. Um, 
so but I got introduced to lots of people um and Twitter took off while I was there that's when Twitter started and uh that was when I started my Twitter account and I left with I think I had something like 800 followers and I don't know why I remember that but I remember having sort of conversations with people like Jay Cross on Twitter and it was just quite democratizing at the time you know I think that's kind of bit of an overused word but you know I was just a marketing girl at a vendor you know I didn't necessarily have any business having conversations with these people but because the the barriers had come down and the access was there and I was interested I suppose um passionate about what I did then you I was able to sort of start to expand my network and all of that kind of stuff um, then I had a, <laughs> a bit of an ill-fated stint with a different company. Um, and then from there, I left to start up my own marketing business and, um, and a, another startup on the side. And I did that for four years. And that's where a lot of people know me from, um, I suppose, um, is that period of time. And I worked with some great clients so my existing employer, Fosway, was a client. Um, Kineo, for example, Saba, I worked with. So I had some really fantastic um, clients and experiences while I was there. And then we relocated back to Wales. And so I decided to bow out of the business and went to work for David Wilson at Fosway Group. And I have been there for four years, scarily enough. Right, okay. So, so I mean... Obviously, there's a lot to cover there. So you mentioned the startup and you mentioned kind of Fosway and learning tech. So I guess let's, I want to kind of touch upon that startup a little bit. So I'm assuming, you know, most people have ideas, right? And a lot of them don't follow them through. You know, startups tend to be a love child of, of whatever. So if you were to give a bit of advice on that whole startup thing, what what what's been like your your biggest learning from that period? Uh, I mean, I learned a huge amount from that period. Um, I mean, I had the business for uh, four years and it was, uh, yeah, I can't tell you. I mean, I I had, you know, um, a kind of thriving marketing business, a sort of tech startup, and I had a baby. And I would, I would, I wouldn't advise to anybody to do all of those at the same time. If I'm brutally honest, so maybe that's maybe that's learning point number one. Um, it, I, I think anything that demands your attention like that and and deserves your attention, it's very hard to split your attention. So you know, I as I mentioned, I was working with some fantastic clients on the marketing side of the business when I when I had Ascot. Um, and I never wanted to let them down. So I never was able to really give the startup the time and attention that it warranted. And I'd, I'd say to anybody, you know, who wants to get a business up and running, and so many people sort of bootstrap things on the side now, just don't split your attention in too many ways. Because if you have got to pay the bills and you have got a day job and there are people depending on you, clients or colleagues or whatever, then you're always going to have to service them first. So if you've got a passion project, 
you know, and I'm still, you know, I still have passion projects, which, you know, we might get into a bit later, but I have learned to say no. And I am much better at ring fencing time and giving things attention, the attention that they deserve. And I think that was probably my biggest lesson. I would also say there's a lot of guff out there about, um, oh, follow your passion, you know, do something you're passionate about and all of that sort of stuff. And I don't necessarily think that that's true when it comes to something like a startup. I don't necessarily think it has to be, you know, oh, I love I love makeup, therefore, you know, it has to be something to do in the makeup arena. I I, I don't necessarily think that that is true and sometimes when you work so hard on something and are so close to something it can kill it a little bit for you so actually keeping your passions as passions and keeping something that you want to build up for work as work that ring fencing can be more beneficial I think I I think it's an interesting one I kind of I kind of agree to a point so, I mean, I, I kind of see it similar to like having two or three careers running at the side of each other. I think we should like, for instance, you know, my career, let's just say, let's just call it real general terms, in learning. My other career, which I do a lot more now, is in design. Mm-hmm. And actually, what does that look like? And then the third one is obviously a startup, which people find out all the time. But I guess... I think it comes down to fixing a problem, right? Like, you know, the the makeup is it's a passion, yeah, and and it's cool, but actually what what passion what what problem does that really fix for anyone? If it, if it mm. doesn't, then kind of what's the point? Like I say, enjoy just putting makeup on or doing whatever. I don't know, I don't wear makeup. So, <laughs> so Yeah, uh, I mean it was yeah. I mean I I grasped at that randomly, but it's it's I I think there's something about you know the kind of the hours and the demands of uh, a startup that can quite easily kill your passion for something uh quite quite quickly so i think sometimes it's better to be a bit dispassionate about it um and be able to uh you know just kind of coldly almost focus on it um and not get too emotionally involved um i i would also say sometimes having personal relationships with um uh you know friendships with uh people that you go into business with not always the best way to do things because they don't necessarily come out intact um so you know i would always caution people you know it's very easy to kind of get involved with people that you're great mates with um you know and i, I it's not just my own personal experience you know now i'm little bit older I've got several friends that have been through kind of similar things um and again sometimes it's easier to be less emotionally involved or less emotionally attached um and have a kind of almost like a cold business relationship rather than a a personal friendship or whatever so Mm, okay so so you mentioned you went traveling walk me through that what tell me a bit about that uh i it was a classic thing of you get through your finals and i was like kind of want to have anything to do with marketing ever again (laughs) 
clever. So I, yeah, I just did um, a little bit of traveling around Europe and then went to live in Cyprus. And because um, my uh, husband now, boyfriend then, um, got posted out there. Um, and it was a golden opportunity. So, uh, you know, his dad did 22 years in the RAF and never got anywhere near Cyprus. So, you know, we were like 22 I was working in a Welsh pub, if you can believe it, um, a Welsh-themed pub. So a Cypriot guy who married a girl from Caerphilly. Um, and then instead of opening an Irish pub, when he went back, opened a Welsh pub. So I was working in there a few nights a week. And we just lived the dream. I mean, it was absolutely brilliant. And there was loads of expats, loads of locals. And we had friends ranging from kind of our age right up to kind of Brian in his mid-70s, who was retired out there. And we'd just sit at the bar with him, watch the football. Absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, so, you know, classic sort of route through Europe and then yeah, landed up on a Limassol beach, basically. Oh, nice. Is, is there any place where you're not in no rush to go back to? Um, I got fleeced in Marrakesh. Right. But I would go. I, but I would go back. Um, I wouldn't go back to Cairo. Okay. I feel like I. I feel like I saw what I needed. To, I saw what I needed <laughs> to see. The Sphinx is disappointingly small. We went inside a pyramid, which was freaking amazing. But like when you see that there's a KFC directly opposite the pyramid, it just. <laughs> yeah, it just killed it a bit. Um, and we did the museum, and then we got out. And my dad spent uh, like many, many years in the Middle East. And he just said, oh, he said Cairo. He said, get in, go to the museum, go to the pyramids, get out. Um, so I wouldn't probably be in a rush to go back to it. It's very, very like polluted. Right, okay. Moggy and busy, you know, it, it's, yeah. I, I, it's not to say don't go there, but I wouldn't necessarily rush back. It's not where it used to be. Is that well? Well, certainly, well, certainly, Cleopatra is probably turning in a grave. Yeah. So, how did you get fleeced in in Marrakesh? What happened there? Oh, it's just um, just classic going into the souks on like the first day, and then again, you see, I like people. I like to chat. Anybody that knows me will know that I like to to chat. Um, people can never, but until they meet her, people can never believe that my sister talks more than me. Um, and just got into conversation with somebody, ended up buying something. And then like, you you know, sort of first day, you're not familiar with the money. And then you get out and you're like, oh, what? I've just paid like 60 quid for something that's worth like, 27 pence, you know? So they they saw me coming. Yeah, I can imagine it's like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. She's from not from around here. Uh, and, the, and that's the thing, you know, I mean, I'm pale and redhead. I mean, I just, you know, they just, yeah, they just know. When I lived in Cyprus, I tried to learn a bit of Greek. And I obviously, having been an English, you know, colony or part of the, the Commonwealth or whatever in Cyprus, um, everyone speaks really amazing English. You don't need to be able to speak Greek to get by there at all. But I was like, no, no, I'm, you know, I'm living here. I'm going to try and learn the language. And I'd go into a shop or whatever and try and speak a bit of Greek. And they just laugh at me and speak to me in English. They could just tell, you know, just by looking at me. So but, so my Greek didn't get very far, to be fair. So so I guess kind of, so you come back home, kind of settle down, I guess, if that's the right term. So I guess this kind of leads me 
on to the next question in here. So what what's been your your biggest personal success and you can't say your children or marriage. Oh, I'd say oh, oh I was gonna say my kids. Um my biggest <laughs> my biggest personal success. Um it probably is the people that I've connected, as I say, collected. Um makes me sound a bit creepy. But you know, um my friendships. I work really hard at my friendships. Um the girls that I go on holiday with every year are the girls I worked with in my first job at QA. Um so that is 16, 17 years into friendships. We're all scattered around. We're all really busy, but we all still meet up. We all still go on an annual holiday together. Um, I've got really good friends from university. I've got really good friends from school. Um, I've made some lovely friends moving back to Cardiff, um, but I put a lot of effort into that. And I think with friendships, I think you reap what you sow. Mm. Um, And it's a bit the same for... I guess what some people call like your personal learning network, PLN. Um, but I've got some amazing professional, I suppose, relationships that have become friendships. Hmm. And if you look at like my Facebook, I've got a lot of people who I would have put in a work basket previously who are now friends. Um, and, you know, they comment on pictures of my kids. And yeah, so I think that's probably outside my kids and my marriage yeah, I'd say that it's a, it's a really interesting one that that whole situation of I won't say murking but it's not murking but that that kind of that crossover of you know when when people oh. go from like your work to your personal and, that, and vice versa it's it's a strange thing yeah well so I wrote a, a piece on LinkedIn um a couple of years ago and I called it something like the Barbie complex because it, in my head you know, like Barbie, you get ski Barbie and Malibu Barbie and horse riding Barbie. And, that you know, you kind of get, and there's lots of different facets to your, to everybody's personality. But I find increasingly, and when I used to look at so, my social platforms, it would be Twitter was for work. Like, that's it. Obviously, LinkedIn is LinkedIn. Um, Facebook was personal. And I wasn't on Instagram at the time because I don't think it existed. But now there's a definite bleeding across them all. Um, And what I have found is because I don't like to share pictures of the kids kind of publicly, I then am filtering. So Mm. on Twitter and Instagram, I don't post pictures of them. And I don't really talk about them that much um, because I kind of want to respect their their privacy. and you know let's face it twitter can be a bit weird (laughs) it's not necessarily somewhere that i i feel comfortable posting pictures of them so you know my facebook is completely locked down i will share you know we'll share pictures of them there but it so it's and again so i've naturally had to filter that's a personal choice so i've naturally had to filter and almost edit out what is obviously a massive part of my life um and it goes back to that Barbie thing of segment, almost segmenting, hmm. uh, you know. And I, I definitely think there's a, a bleed between things these days. When when I used to do facilitation, when I when I used to work at um, O2 and Tesco Mobile, so I used to design and deliver. So a lot of time I'd be delivering maybe an induction or something like that. And as with most inductions, you know, when you spend a couple of weeks with them or whatever all of a sudden the best friend and I remember once I kind of sat back and looked at how many friends I had I was like I pretty much got a whole call centre 
I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I don't even these aren't even like my, my close close friends and I remember once I was looking at that I mean on the side you know it tells you recommended friends or whatever it's like that's my auntie so I haven't got my auntie connected on Facebook but I've got this whole call centre <laughs> yeah. so yeah and it, comes, and it comes down to purpose right what do you want that network to give you and what do you want that particular thing to achieve and I think that this is a real thing that people forget about social networks and social platforms is you know it's a construct it can be whatever you want it to be so my little I always say about Twitter my little area of Twitter my little corner is is great it's 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 rays of sunshine it's it's brilliant people doing brilliant work I have people who are passionate about things. I have people who are clever and smart and who challenge my thinking and share things. And it is a really positive place to be. But yet you you venture, you know, sometimes if you venture out of that and look at like discussions about politics, God forbid, or or something like that, it it's it's nuts. So my my construct of of Twitter and how I engage with it, I'm not saying this is right, but it's right for me. It gives me that positivity and I, I just and that enables me to achieve what I want to achieve but I always remember a friend after learning technologies one year saying what on earth have you been talking about on Twitter all week and I just said well I'm not talking to you I, you know I'm there predominantly for work purposes or certainly I, I, I was previously you know if you want to know about my personal life like you're on my Facebook look there yeah and so I'm not, to, you know, that's not, you're not my audience. So you can put up with that. Most of my friends don't follow me on there because I don't talk about anything that they want to hear about. Mm. And that's fine. That's got to be so hard though to filter. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't use Twitter efficiently. It's probably the best way to do it. You know, you have these people who follow hashtags and have lists and whatever else. I literally go on, get triggered, respond, and then from a phone <laughs> in the corner. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, but it's it's it, this it's organic and authentic, and I do I really believe that to be successful on any of these platforms, you have to be authentic. Um, and you know, I used to be much more efficient, if you want to use that word, about scheduling posts and and that kind of thing. It's just not something I do now. Um, and I think there was probably a period, a good few years ago, where there was a definite FOMO element you know I think mm. oh my god you know what am I missing out on and I, I think that the nature of it has evolved and changed over over time for me I think it's awareness for me the, the awareness of knowing actually and I think this is where you know your apple your iphone whatever else now tells you how much screen time you're spending and what you're spending it on which really helps but I remember I was in a conversation with on twitter and it was with Nick Shackleton Jones Matt Ash I was going on about I think it was blockchain or something. I can't remember now. And I remember sitting down thinking, wow, I've just wasted my whole afternoon <laughs> in this kind of... I don't think it was like um Is it a waste though? Yeah, I think so. I think so on a Sunday. And the reason why I think that is because I think you sit, you kind of, you're responding back and forth and you're kind of interested in the conversation. But when you look out, you go, wow, I've just spent four hours on this. And you've got your dog who's looking at you with a big puppy eyes going, you know, you, what are you doing? Um, with a leopard print bow tie on, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think, so, so what's your take on, and obviously I want to kind of talk about it from a, an LD point of view then. So 
you know, forget how you use Twitter for a second. What's your take on how LD's um when LD yeah, LD's kind of impact on Twitter and, and how do you see what, what yeah, what I'm trying to think how I can put this. How do you think what do you think the perception is of L and D on Twitter? Like I, I can tell you what I think. But I'm really intrigued to tell you today what you, you could... Do you mean other people who are outside L&D or no. people within? Well, no, people within. Like, they're, how they use it, how, yeah. So someone said to me this week that they find nowadays that it is uh, too much of... There's too much posturing um, and there's too much... Who can shout the loudest? actually uh, and that is a genuine note it's not like oh asking for a friend that is something that somebody said to me and they are going to take it they're personally taking a bit of a step back from things which i thought was interesting um i do sometimes i've always feared that it could be a bit of an echo chamber or can be a bit of an echo chamber and people sort of patting themselves on the back you know for whatever um and it's everybody kind of there's a like a clique of people that think the same um i personally feel that we're maybe we're past that kind of peak because i think there are other other platforms are available um and i've seen the use of like linkedin change quite a lot in the last in the last few years i think people have other kind of platforms and i think that kind of usage of it being you having to be present is not so strong and i think people neil lasher i don't know if you know neil great um it's always you always got a good soundbite neil um he used to say like tweets are like heartbeats you only get so many and if you use them all up you know Mm. really early like people who used to tweet all the time you know you just suddenly like sort of either stop using it or like will slowly kind of peter out um and i always remember that because definitely my usage is not as as high as it used to be um, but I, there's still value there and things like L&D Insight or um, HR Hour, you find some really good um, input into that. But you also have to remember that it's only a really small percentage of the professions that are represented on there. Um, mm. And it's like any any social network or any of these networks, they always say it's what is it, 90% of people will just sit back and consume you know, it's probably only 1% who were really sort of actually creating anything. So you have to kind of keep that in mind because it is a bubble. And I think the same is true for, I mean, if you look at the recent general election, you know, if you looked at any you know, sort of Twitter or whatever, you would probably have believed that Labour were going to win, which obviously didn't, didn't happen. So I think you have to always bear in mind that it is, it is a bubble. It's not necessarily representative of the profession as a whole. I have this theory that you could probably take a snapshot of LinkedIn L&D and go back three years and within that week you can see the same discussion being talked about. I honestly believe it, 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 it is that. It's... So, so my boss, David Wilson, he has had, he's had what, what was Elernity and is now Fosway. Uh, it's 23 years old now, that company. We've got, we for our 20th anniversary, which is not long after I joined, 
I did a bit of a retrospective. I went back into the archives and pulled out a load of papers and articles that he'd written kind of over the years. And it was terrifying how relevant some of them were. Social learning, he wrote something for social on social learning for TJ uh, Training Journal in like 2001, and it could have been written yesterday. You know, there's, there's definitely some stuff in there around rapid e-learning and authoring, which is dated, right? Mm. There, is, there, there are things that say, but pieces on blended, you know, I, I, I have, you know, I definitely see those conversations still playing out um, and doing judging. You know, I do some judging on some of the awards and some of the, you know, when you're going through the shortlisting stage, you know, there are still re some really basic things, you know, that are happening that are very like bit of e-learning, bit classroom, mm. you know, not very actually blended at all, really, probably quite, quite segmented. Um, and I, I, yeah, there are definitely some themes that never seem to go away. I think it was, it might have been Suk who kind of gave me this advice and he was talking about, you just have to be mindful of your usage. I think it was in a period where I was in between roles or something like that. And obviously, a lot of the time you just, you, you fill that space. You know, you can only look for jobs for so long, it gets draining. So I remember I was in a period of just constantly scrolling, Twitter and whatever else. And he's like, you just need to be mindful, actually. You know, he's very specific about how, when, sorry, he goes on there. Like, okay, I'm going to give myself maybe an hour to look at whatever. And based on that, I kind of just decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to turn all notifications off. Mm. So just to stop that kind of nudge, that thing of, hey, hey, look at me. So mm. I think now on Twitter, half the time someone will send me, someone will send me a DM and I'll pick it up like three or four days later. Mm -hmm. So there's the flip side to that of turning it, you know, there's a reason why I need to be on. But, well, it's like Instagram. They're talking about Instagram turning off likes, aren't they? Mm. Or like being able to see how many. So I think you can see, but other people can't see. Yeah. how many people have liked your post. Um, and it's interesting. I mean, my six-year-old asked me for a TikTok account the other day. You know, you and I have talked about TikTok. Yeah. Um, and he watches YouTube and he wants to start a YouTube channel um, for doing football tricks. And um, he's asking me, how did he get likes? Wow. And I'm like trying to, and I'm, sort of having a conversation with him about not setting your self-worth by the number of likes you get and he's just like <laughs> glazing over he but he's six you know it's, i mean where does that come from so here's a great example so you've watched top boy right the guy who's in top boy yep. ashley walters i think he's called anyway commented on one of his posts yesterday he responded back oh nice yeah first thing i did is took a screenshot of it yeah <laughs> that's it i've made it i made it yeah. mum, dad. and i'm like what i'm 30 36 but i just think where as a six-year-old where does that come from because it's got to come from i'm assuming it's got to come from school right it's got to be um i think it comes from i mean he what he's watching these videos of football footballers doing tricks you know that and and he also watches he plays like super mario and he watches other gamers play to pick up tips and he's learned how to play minecraft essentially through watching some of these youtube videos now you know we're pretty strict on how much he watches but even then you know they all say at the end don't forget to subscribe don't forget mm -hmm. to don't forget to like you know it's just part of their 
it's just going to be part of his narrative as he grows up. You know, you're not going to be able to, as it stands, you know, he's not going to be able to get away from that. Yeah. And the channels will change. You know, I mean, TikTok, whatever the next thing is, you know, Facebook's for old people, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, so whatever it might be, uh, that will ch- that will change over time. And by the time he's 16, it will be something else, obviously. But that kind of sharing and filming and, you know, him, I, he's asking, you know, he wants me to video him doing football tricks and share that. But actually to bring the conversation back to learning, it, so it's a bit scary in, in some ways, the influence that that's had on him. But how much he has learnt, I don't know how to play Minecraft. Oh. I like I haven't got a clue. I'm not a gamer at all. It just not it just does not float never has done, never floated my boat. So when we sat down and, and booted up this Minecraft game, I don't have a clue what to do. You know, it's like the blind leading the blind, but by watching other people play, he's learned what to do and he can go off and build houses and castles and all of this great stuff that he loves doing like with Lego and now he's doing he's able to do that in Minecraft. He's really good at Mario Kart because he knows all the cheats because he's watched all these other kids play it on YouTube. He's learning how to do teach himself how to do football tricks. We go over the park with him and play football. But there's other you know, he's learning in different ways. It's not just about his dad showing him how to do this stuff now. So, I mean, thank God, probably. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's just going to be part of what they grow up with. It's, it's really interesting. You reminded me of a story. Um, so Facebook, so, you know, the, the biggest demographic going on Facebook is like 50 plus. And um, so it was um, my partner's um, granddad. It's on Facebook, but he just can't use it for life, for the life of him. I remember we was on, I was on Facebook. I could close my Facebook down a while back. However, I got a notification and it's like, Derek is now live. I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> so I went on. <laughs> and it's Derek sat down going, Gene, will you do us a brew? <laughs> and he's obviously clicked the wrong button. <laughs> it the world. That's brilliant. But you, was it you sent me that... Um meme of you know a 40 year old on tiktok yeah uh, you know like looking around going oh i was like yeah that's me that was me yeah great it's so, so it's so funny watching older people i know we shouldn't laugh but i can't help it because it's like we've gone there so yeah, it's fine that's gonna be us right that's you know that's almost me with tiktok it's tragic he's <laughs> done it loads of times like some one of the, his friends had died, and rather than comment on a post, he decided to put his comment as a status update to show it was all his all his mates in his group. It's just yeah, it. I feel like I could do a whole stand up around that. But that's gonna be us, you know. What what my six year old and my two year old are learning now, you know, they're gonna they're gonna laugh at us in ten or fifteen years. They're gonna be like, you don't know what you're doing. I mean, I like to think that I will stay up to date. At least I know what TikTok is. Mm. You know, I was talking to some of the other parents at the school gates and said, Oh Thomas wants a TikTok account. They never even heard of it. So I thought, well you're gonna have to you're gonna have to get clued up because your kids are gonna be miles ahead of you otherwise. So and I I think that's you know, I think that's but it that comes back to the people and the connections and the collecting. You know, I think that it doesn't matter so much what the platform is it's much more about making those connections 
And one of the things, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever had in my career was my was my colleague um, when I was at what is now Calidus, E2 Training then. And he said to me, you know, never waste an opportunity to just go and meet somebody for a coffee. Yeah. And, you know, I've got so many people, you know, within my network now who I now count as friends who, you know, speculative cup of coffee or I've met on Twitter and then met in real life. James McClucky, I always remember going, well, how will I know it's you? Because, you know, you're going off a picture that's <laughs> that big. And he was like, on six for eight, darling. I was like, all right okay I'll, I'll be able to pick you out of a crowd then it'll be fine but you know I, I, but transferring those you know online relationships into real life that makes a real difference and then it almost doesn't matter what platform you're on because you've built a solid foundation then and mm. I think that's probably what we're going to see and something that you said in a uh, a previous podcast I think it was the one with Gethin it he said something about you know, as things become more automated, actually we value the human connection that much more. And I think that's really true. I just think the way I see it is, I think as long as you've got nephews, nieces, children, you know, you have to make that that conscious effort to understand what their world looks like. And I think by doing that, you stay ahead of, of a trend. Like I think it was TikTok when I seen TikTok was happening and I kind of put a post out around how um, Zappos are using it and like I said if it, the first person to start using this as part of an EVP and a talent attraction especially when it comes to like apprenticeships yeah, or apprentices, like, yeah, yeah this yeah. is because when I was over in Talk Talk I was doing it with Snapchat and Instagram because they were the tools where the people were mm. and, and, and I think that is but the reality of it is, is if they ever have a child and they start huffing and puffing about them showing me how to use tech I'll just remind them that I once taught them how to use a spoon. And <laughs> that'll be it, job done. I'm not sure I've successfully managed that with mine. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not my two-year-old. So, but yeah, but you you talk about fish where the fish live. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I think that's, yeah, I think that's really true. So I think while we're talking about kind of youth, youth of today, if, youth them. If, you, if I was to um, ask you to give a book, as a gift and it doesn't have to be you let's let's just be we can put it with anybody actually if you have to give a book as a gift to anybody what book would you give as a gift right i knew you were going to ask me this and <laughs> weirdly it's right here because i've just bought it for somebody but i've given this to somebody before so there's can i have two yeah go on then. Because, so this is the boy the mole the fox and the horse by charlie maxi okay and i don't know if you follow him on twitter or instagram but it's beautiful drawings and it's um, and it's just like little things to sort of help with kind of mental health and anxiety and all of the things that kind of are, you know, some modern day challenges, I suppose. So what is the bravest thing you've ever said? Asked the boy. Help, said the horse. And it's all oh. sort of really, really beautiful pictures and he shares them on instagram and the book is just like the pictures are just absolutely gorgeous oh, wow. so um i've given this to a couple of people now just because i think it's really beautiful um and it's not you wouldn't necessarily sit down and read it cover to cover but it's lovely to be able to say it's like a coffee table book yeah okay so that is one and the other one um would be the guilty feminist i think by deborah francis white 
so she has a podcast of the same name but the book delves into all sorts sort of historical um the historical sort of journey around feminism but also things around you know transgender and like sort of gender fluid gender neutral all of these kind of new in inverted commas phrases and things that I think you know we're laughing about old people struggling with tech but I think there are you know there are people out there who for sure are either just ignorant or ill-educated or not sure about all of this stuff they might have the best intentions but there's some really really good stuff in there about all of all of that um and I think for men and women alike or however you identify um it's a really really good I listen to it as an audio book so it's a really good listen Ah, okay I'll um I'll check that out I don't think I've come across it at all so I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's a segue into women in learning for me. Ah, there you go. Nicely done. Smooth. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, there's Fosway and, and there's Learning Tech, which I want to cover. But, obviously, for me, so let me tell you how why women in learning is important for me. And then I want to hear your story. So, I remember I very first went to a conference and I would say it was about four years ago give or take and I kind of put a statement out there and it was very very it's quite quite simple really um you've got a board of people of fifth a board of 50 plus people of age talking about millennials why you get some millennials on the board and I hate why, the millennials thing and why why is a board out of I think there's seven why is the board six for men and I get it, you know, I get the idea that the only industry is predominantly men and whatever else or whatever whatever you hear back from that kind of statement. And it was just more of a, a kind of, just a, a call out. It, was just, it wasn't me being disruptive or anything like that. It was just me saying what I've seen at that event. Anyway, so fast forward and I'm thinking about all the managers I've had. And honestly, all the managers that I've had, the best ones have always been women. So it's kind of just something what I'm aware of more than anything. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my take on women in learning from why I think it's important. But I want you to tell me why it is and what it is because I only know very basic about this, Kate. So fill me in. Have I not bored you enough with it? <laughs> um, no, so this time last year, I uh, Don Taylor asked me to chair a session at Learning Technologies 2019. Uh, which was called Women in Learning. And so we had three awesome women on the panel, Miriam Nealon, uh, Nikki Verdi, who works at BP, um, and Lorna Matty, who works for uh, Toyota Financial. And um, Don had put the panel together, but obviously wanted um, a woman to chair it. And Sharon Claffey Kaliubi, who's based in the US, um, has previously chaired similar sessions. Um, on both sides of the Atlantic and actually was originally invited to do so by Elliot Macy um, who you may or may not have heard of but is very big uh, in learning in the States and has a a huge conference um, that is actually now part of the learning technologies family Um, and so I didn't really you know I had no sort of concept of what I was 
get, getting into, I suppose, um, with this session. But I um, had some calls with the ladies who were, were taking part and I had a call, you know, amazing couple of conversations with Sharon beforehand. And um, I wanted to frame the conversation a little bit. And Don Taylor had done some research uh, a year before which I'd seen and not really, you know, to my sort of shame, really, I, I hadn't really absorbed the magnitude of it, if, if that makes sense. So he'd done some research across the learning and skills group, which is a huge um, online community now, thousands and thousands of L&D professionals worldwide. And essentially what it shows is that um, in junior roles, you've got about three quarters of them are women. Um, middle managers are around 50-50 across men and women. And when you get to senior roles, around three quarters of them are men. So women are not getting to, getting to the top, basically. And I put out, Don had done this infographic, uh, you know, the year previously. And I wanted to give the session some, you know, publicity, as is my want. We're talking about, you know, spent a lot of time talking about social media and and all of that. And obviously I look after the back channel for learning technology. So I wanted to kind of, you know, pimp it a bit, I suppose, and make it aware, make, make people aware that we were talking about it. Um, and the engagement I got on that one post was just bigger than anything I've ever put out, ever, on any channel, even things combined, I haven't had that kind of level of engagement on. It just went nuts. Oh, apart from the one time I asked about WordPress developers and I got about 40,000 inbox you know don't ever don't ever put wordpress the word wordpress into a linkedin post basically but anyway i digress um and i just knew i just knew that it was potentially a really hot topic for people and you know i mean i you know i've always been um a feminist i've always been enabled by both men and women I've never really come across any real massive sexism in my career but I, it's something I feel very strongly about despite having not been on the negative end of anything and then you know the session went really well and you know we had I think three men um, attend and the rest were women but it, we had some really good sort of stuff come out of it and then yeah since then I you know sort of after it I wanted to not let the fire die I suppose and I think that a lot of the time at any conference you know people go back to their desks and then it's just business as usual right and you know and we talk about you know the forgetting curve and we talk about you know all behavior change and all of the things we talk about in L&D um and I didn't want to I didn't want that to happen to this, this to this subject so I set up a LinkedIn group and just wanted to keep the conversation going, really. And that's just kind of surpassed any kind of expectations I could have had. I think there's about 900 people in it now. Um, I specifically wanted it to feel inclusive. So, you know, it's men, women, you know, dogs, whatever, um, any creed or colour. And I think that is really what the crux of it comes down to for me, is that actually, yes, the the, the kind of the conversation and the movement and and all of this has, has been triggered by kind of women and a gender imbalance but actually if you look across the industry as well you know we're not really that diverse um and it's really important to have you know I mean it's a bit cheesy to say role models but you know it's important for people coming into the industry to see people like them to believe that they can 
get to the top and they can achieve things and they can do things and it isn't just about the in-house side of things and the practitioner side of things it's about the vendor side of things as well um and actually you know where are the women founders of startups there are you know there are a few um that are that really stand out Juliet Denny at Growth Engineering you've got Cheryl Clemens at Storytagger but you know they're still predominantly more male founders and that's not to say that you know we need less male founders we just need more female ones it's all but it all comes back I've digressed a little bit but it all comes back to that 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 thing around inclusion and at one of the panels we ran uh, LPI invited us to do a women in learning session at Learning Live um, and uh, one of the ladies we had on the panel uh, works at um, one of the big accounting firms and you'd think that that would be really white and really male and actually she's from an all-female team quite diverse in um, appearances etc but actually she said what they where they don't where they lack diversity is they're all university educated they're all sort of middle class kind of backgrounds and they're all they've all worked in these kind of very corporate organizations and what they lack is diversity of thought and that well and that was one of those you know kind of moments where that kind of blew my mind and if you look at the stats from like the world economic forum they will say you know there is a moral imperative to improve gender balance and balance across you know ethnicity ability socioeconomic background etc you know so we have a moral duty to do that but actually in the longer term there will be uh, a financial incentive as well because again you know we talk about the world changing around our kids you know in the future it's it's only getting harder to recruit the best people you know if you look like you are just a bunch of middle-aged white guys um you know and I'm not picking on middle-aged white guys but you know, if you look like your organisation is not diverse or open or inclusive, people aren't going to go and work there or they're not going to buy your products, you know, and it's like being sort of environmentally responsible now, you know, people swerving plastic packaging and making decisions based on shipping and where people are based and shop local and things like that. People are going to make those decisions about where they work and who they buy from based on this kind of stuff. So it's, it's just so important that we become more inclusive. And I think sometimes you look at the political situation at the moment, although I try, <laughs> I try not to, and it's a bit scary because you think are we go, are we almost going backwards, but that just adds for me, that just adds fuel to the fire. So what I'm hoping for 2020 is I've got some really awesome women on board. So um, Ashley Sinclair, who, um is only in her early 30s she's just set up her own marketing business people like Laurie Niles Huffman that you've had on um, the podcast before people like Jane Daly over at Towards Maturity you know I've got some really amazing women you know giving up their time to take part in all of this because this isn't just about me spearheading something if it's gonna really make a difference ultimately it has to be very again inclusive effort so there's things like we're looking at a mentoring scheme um, podcast okay. um, and, you know, kind of various other activities to try and, yeah, further this whole agenda, really. So watch this space because, again, comes back to that, what we talked about 
juggling too many things. Passion is a passion project. You know, I'm busy. And again, this is why, you know, more people are getting involved now because it spreads that load and helps things move a lot quicker. So I guess kind of, I just want to dig into it a little bit more with that. I guess two things would really jump out to me. So why is that? Why 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 is that a thing? Is it, do you think that's due to to posturing by you know by, by and men shouting louder, so to speak? Um, because it, here's a great example. So my podcast, I always try and get fifty fifty split, always, mm-hmm. never never get it. And the reason mm-hmm. I, I struggle, I struggle. It's it could be down to the people, the the, the women. In our industry, you know, because this sounds really bad and I'm not sure how to phrase this, but I'll just say not many people want to come onto a podcast. Is it, mm-hmm. is it a fear aspect? Is it an aspect of where like, oh, I don't know, I might take it, you know, this is, this is, I try to ask myself why is it either A, it's hard to get older people, of women to come onto the show mm-hmm. versus men, obviously, bigger pond, more fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and actually what, what can I do to get, to get more females on onto the show, and, and and you're not alone in that. I mean, you know, uh, learning out TV. You know, Colin Steed um, tries again really hard to um, balance um, balance that um, out across um, the you know the genders. And um, I know conference organisers also find it really difficult. You know, most of the unsolicited kind of pitches for speaking will be from men. Mm. not women so i think there is something you know there's been a lot of talk about imposter syndrome um there's a lot of talk about uh you know the kind of the difference between yeah the may, men and women will put themselves forward um or not like maybe women like to be asked more than putting mm. themselves forward for things um you know i mean stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason but I, you know, I like to think that it's not, it's not all due to that. However, you know, some of it must be. Um, in terms of not getting to the top, um, there is a trend. We did a bit of research um, last summer. You know, there is a trend around women jumping off of corporate roles to, you know, freelance consult mm. that kind of thing because it's more flexible uh, around families. Obviously, I've been in that position myself. Um, so there is something maybe there in that trend as well, uh, that when you look at the figures from the Learning and Skills Group, it is specifically looking at in-house um, roles. And also like, you know, to get a bit more existential about it, I suppose, what does success look like? Is it about being, uh, you know, a CHRO or, you know, a head of learning or whatever it might be? Is that success or is success having your own business and balancing your family life, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we have to be careful about what the goals are for women in learning because, yes, it would be great to see more women getting into senior roles, but that is not necessarily the be-all and end-all. It's kind of got me thinking about... Um, I was talking to a friend and he's, he kind of highlighted something which he's seen at um, a couple of, of learning conferences. Um, and he said it's really interesting... The, the top level speakers are predominantly men, but if you go into the exhibit, it's predominantly women. He's like, why do you think that is? He asked me that question straight out. He went, 
why do you think when you look at the stars, it's you know, there's a lot more awareness presence of of women on the stars yet the conferences there's a lot more men. Mm. And it stumped me. It it stumped me, you know, instantly my mind went to well, we all know why that is. They're trying to grab attention. Mm. And then I was like, actually I don't know, is there more to it than that? I'm not really sure, like I went to a HR conference a few years ago, maybe five, maybe six years ago, um, and they had like, like the Formula One girls, you know, yeah. uh, like walking around with sashes and giving out leaflets and all of that kind of thing. And it's like at a HR conference, mm. and I definitely think the world has changed. You know, I mean, yeah. we're post, we're post Me Too, you know, post Weinstein all of that stuff and even like I was watching an old episode of Friends the other day just because I happened to be on and even a couple of comments in that was like you know that you know you wouldn't, you wouldn't write that, that script now yeah and I so I you know the world has changed and you don't get that kind of yeah that kind of thing at learning conferences yeah. um but it is definitely you know I mean my so my boss yeah uh, it's called David you know he spoke at an event uh, not last summer, summer before, and it was kind of arranged through a third party. It wasn't, it wasn't us that that sorted it all out. Um, but he was. There were more white guys called David on the agenda than there were women. Out of a day's wow. worth of speakers, there was one woman, one other guy, and then three guys called David. <laughs> I just... like at a, again at a HR conference. Yeah. You know, I mean, and the, I think this is the thing. I think you just need to start opening your eyes and looking around. And, um, you know, I mean, Andrew Jacobs has um, this uh, sort of hashtag that he uses. It starts with me and um, is pushing back on some of the speaking invitations that he gets to say, you know, well, what's your what's your gender split on the speakers? Or could I could I point you in the direction of a female colleague of mine who might be able to take my place which is you know which is really great um and shows just sort of giving these conference organizers a bit of a kick to just to say and it's not about kicking them you know but just be aware and Mm. and have and have some just have that awareness of um that mix of gender and you know ethnicity and you know whatever else it is and ultimately, hopefully, you are then putting together a more interesting, more diverse, more diverse of thought, challenging speaker lineup. I guess it's an interesting one. You know, like, you know, what Andrew's doing is great, but I guess my instant question is: Well, potentially, then it's only as good as your network. Like, if he turns around and says, "Can I?" It's only as good as your network. It's kind of going back to what you were saying right at the beginning. The, the value what you put into them connections and the value what you put into them friendships. Because the reality of it is, is if Andrew only invests his time in, say, 20, you know, mm. his mates, his lab mates, the bias will be to direct them to a mate. Mm. Like, so then is the question, actually, we just need more split networking opportunities. And... Because for me, if I think about it, I'm I'm quite equally split, I would say. You know, 50, I'd, probably, yeah, I'd probably say it's about 50-50, give or take. Um, I could point to numerous women, I could point to numerous guys. But looking at my mates, 
you know, mm. predominantly it's, it's lads. Mm. And I know it's a different kind of setting, but the reality of it is, is especially when we talk about the thing what we said at the beginning about actually your workmates, you, the people who you network with become your friends. Mm. I think is there not a bigger question to say actually what we need is we need more opportunities for guys to one, be aware of the females in our industry who are absolutely amazing at what we do. Yeah. And I guess, you know, the one, it, it, it's great having one person doing that, I guess, but we need 50, 100 people yeah, doing yeah. that. Abso- yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, I do think, uh, uh, yeah, I do think it, it starts with just that, that awareness. I do, I mean, I like I said at the start, you know, I've always been, uh, you know, I grew up as a as a tomboy. Mm. I've always had, um, you know, lad mates, and I still do. Um, and you know, that's not that. Obviously, when I was three years old, that was not a conscious decision. That was just, you know, the way it happened. Um, and who I guess my parents, friends, what their what their kids were. Yeah. Um, and you know, and your your interests are are your interests. And but I think it's and I think you know you mentioned school. And that is, that's been a, that's been a real eye opener for me. You know, my, my son suddenly coming home talking about boys toys and girls toys. Mm. That's not a language that we use in, in this house, you know, um, and that's school, you know, that's our external influences and that's really hard to fight that. And that's yeah. what you have to, you do have to fight it. Walk into any toy shop, you know, you've got an aisle of pink and then you've got an aisle of, you know, blue effectively, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's awful actually when you you know when you when you sort of start to 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 look at it quite closely um although i do think some of that is is changing like you can't i think a lot of websites now you can't necessarily search on girls or boys toys yeah you know they're becoming more um kind of gender neutral around all of that but yeah i think you know we i got some backlash around um uh, you know the the inclusion of men and it's not a you know it's just you know without without that without men being part of the conversation I just don't think you get anywhere and it was so it's a really conscious decision to make it open because you know all right you look at the the split of people within the women in learning group mm. obviously it's more women but I, I yeah I do think without the support of of men you're not and without the buy-in of men you're not going to win you're not going to change any hearts and minds and that's ultimately sort of what you're trying to trying to do um you know and you talk about some of your best bosses have been women some of the biggest enablers in my career have been men so it's not about being shut out and actually um i did a podcast uh once and they talked about is it the i can't remember it was a glass it's a glass slipper rather than a glass ceiling or something like that. And it was around women not empowering other women. Ah, okay. um, you know, and Margaret Thatcher's always, you know, used as a bit of an example. Like she was prime minister, but she didn't have any other females in her cabinet because it was almost like, well, there's room for me. Hmm. And there's not, I don't want, there's not room for any other women here. Um, so that is, you know, very much what I hope that if this ever builds out any kind of legacy or any kind of message is that it is it is about being inclusive yeah. and i i really sort of take on board what you said as well about different voices you know the like the back channel that i i do for learning technologies 
again, you know, I really make an effort to try and mix that up and bring in different voices. So it's not the same. I don't want it to feel cliquey. I don't want it to feel uh, like it's the same faces doing the same thing every year. I really try and almost like talent scout, <laughs> you know, uh, and try and, you know, who's new, who's yeah. new, like who, or who's posting stuff that's, that's a bit different and try and have your eyes out because ultimately these people are, you know, sharing insights from that event. And you, again, you want diversity of thought and diversity of opinion around all that. And you want different takes and different backgrounds to contribute to that. So, and I think, you know, I would say this, but I think we do that quite well. Yeah. And I think that shows in the level of engagement that we that we get. So I think it's about, you know, being able to extrapolate that further. And, you know, going right back to the beginning where I said I'm a collector of people, I think part of the motivation for me saying that as well is it's not like I don't want to ever sit there and go, right, I'm done. Got my network. I'm sitting pretty. Mm. It's all good. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want that for, for me and my connections because I like to meet new people, but I'm also a big believer in paying it forward. It's an interesting one, I guess. For me, the way I kind of see women learning is exactly what you said. It's about inclusivity, not exclusivity. The awareness is, is the focus, like the awareness of women in learning. That doesn't necessarily mean guys can't talk. And I think that's... Yeah, it's, I, not, I, it's not either or. Yeah, and I think I think I witnessed I think I witnessed on Twitter something. I think I witnessed that go down, and I thought that was really well handled by you because the reality of it is is if it is a women's only kind of thing, and it becomes that thing for women only, instantly you start to be exclusive and you start to single yourself out. Possibly that's just how what would happen. Um, so yeah, no, I thought that was handled really well, and I think when I seen it happen on Twitter a while back, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I got some really good advice from Deborah Francis White. Actually, um, I um, messaged her, and she was amazing. I mean, I've met her at Learning Technologies before, and she was, yeah, she was um, incredible because obviously doing what she has done around the guilty feminist, you know, she has had lots of stick for lots of different elements of that. And she said every time she's had a male guest on the podcast, pretty much without um, without exception, she's had some backlash around that. You know, this is a feminist thing, you know, it's supposed to be about women's voices and blah, 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 blah. And actually the Women in Learning panel we did on Learning Now TV, uh, I invited Andrew onto that mm. on, on purpose because... It, it, it isn't about like going back to that you know being inclusive thing and she just said you know it's very easy for others to throw stones while you're trying to do something and there is nothing to stop anybody doing any of this stuff and you know what we're trying to get to is sort of I, I'm but we're building out a kind of um almost like a, a starter pack at the moment so if people want to do like you do your mind chimp meetups you know, there's nothing to stop anyone doing women in learning meetups or events or anything like that. It absolutely isn't about coming through me or Sharon or, you know, any of the, some of the people who've been quite active. You know, anybody can, I want people to feel that anybody could get involved and, and do stuff. So we're just, I'm just working on the website at the moment and we're working on a, like, like a bit of a pack. And the way that I, <laughs> the way that I um, liken it is, I did a Macmillan cancer coffee morning about three, four months ago. And all I did was I signed up and they sent me a pack 
I well, I would say I made some cakes. I'd be a lie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I bought some cakes, um, and uh, and then people brought cakes with them, and everybody chucked some money in the pot, and it was a really nice day. And then I sent the money off, and like no, they didn't need to police me or mm. you know, anything. They gave me the tools I needed to be able to do that, and that is what um, I'm. You know, we're trying to get to now with women in learning is to almost say, well, here's a start pack. If you want to crack on, you want to do something in your organisation. If you want to do something, people have talked about doing some meetups in Scotland or Northern Ireland. Amazing. You know, it doesn't have to be London centric. Doesn't have to be Kate centric. Um, and I really hope that that is something that we can we can get to in 2020 okay so so kind of taking this a different angle now then so obviously you've got women learning and then you've got Fosway as well which I want to touch on in just a second however let's pretend you've got a billboard and you've got a million people oh, coming no, out I of hate this. I hate this question <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm going to say to this I know what this question is and and you get to shape a million people's minds or give them a nudge, give them something to change context and make them think about something. What would you put on that billboard? It's a really good question. And I think I would say, I think I'd say, look around you. And if everybody around you looks like you, then you possibly need to start broadening your horizons. Okay. I like it. Sound advice, actually. That's so sound advice. Isn't true? (laughs) I'm all about the wisdom. But, yeah, I think um, I just wrote something for Women in Learning the other day. And, you know, I don't want to come off as preachy because I'm not perfect. You know, and I sit here with my, you know, straight white female privilege. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not ignorant of that. You know, I, I'm I'm in a you know I'm from a, you know a, not a massively wealthy family, but a middle class family. I had a great education. You know, I, I'm not I'm not ignorant of my um, position of privilege at all. And I think that I hope that my awareness of my own privilege it, it is something that helps me to potentially open doors for other people. And as I say, you know, I have worked for some very generous and uh, open colleagues that open doors for me. And I've always tried, I've always tried to do that for other people. And I think now I'm getting a bit older. <laughs> um, you know, that is something I'm very conscious of and, and I've always tried to do that. And I think the women in learning things probably just an extension of that really. Oh. Um, and I think that it's just, as I say, it's post me too and all of that. It's just the time is right. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think the time is right and it is needed. It's needed and it's been a long time coming. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see what what comes from women learning? Well, thanks. Really. And I, like I say, I think support from our male counterparts is really key to getting anywhere. And I think that, you know, if there are any kind of real stuck in the mud, sexist pig males out there, then they're not going to listen to a woman anyway. You know, they're going to they're going to much more take on board that message coming from from a man, really. 
So I do think that we need the advocates, you know, in, in the men in the industry. Um, and, there, you know, there are still a lot of men in a lot of positions of, of power, you know, running conferences and running institutes and, you know, or running big organizations, you know. Um, we're not going to we're not going to change things without taking you guys with us. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Along for the ride. Yes, for sure. So I've got three questions. Well, I've got four, but and then we're done. Um, so obviously your role takes you to various different co- uh, conferences and and kind of, you know, you, you do tweeting and, and you have your opinions, which are all valid and stuff. But what I really, one of the really big things which I like about you is you don't, you're not scared of just jumping in front of a camera and capturing your your videos, your thoughts, your whatever. So one of the things which I think people fear isn't actually getting in front, isn't record, being recorded, it's actually that in the stage of getting in front of a camera and just doing it. So what free piece of advice would you give to someone who's wanting to jump in front of a camera and share knowledge and share 30 second videos or a couple of minute videos but you haven't done it yet what three pieces of advice would you give to someone that's a good question i i think you just i think the first one is get over yourself okay all right it sounds a bit savage but um guy called Sam Burroughs gave me some great advice when I thought about starting my blog many years ago, which is woefully neglected at the moment. Um, but he just said, write for yourself. And if anybody reads it, it's a bonus. And my use of Twitter and writing and subsequently the videos is almost a way of taking notes, reflection and getting that down and I would never sit there and watch my own video back or read my own blog back but just the very process of when I live tweet or go do those live updates it's a way for me now of note-taking you know and it, it helps me process especially when we only had 140 characters but the art of sort of getting in front of the camera and trying to do something in three minutes, because you know you've probably only got two or three minutes before people tune out. It forces you to have that reflection and think, well, what was my key takeaway? Maybe there wasn't one. Maybe it was crack. Mm. That's okay. I mean, I try not to, I wouldn't go out and slag somebody off because it's not just not my style. I don't think it's very constructive. And if there's not a key takeaway from a session, then I probably won't do a video on it. Um, but if I've been to something good or if I've seen, seen something thought-provoking or even if I've just seen something middle of the road, it's almost like mining for gold. Like, where's the nugget? You know, what's the one thing that I could take away from that? So I, I, it forces you to reflect um, and look for the good, I think. So think of it. So get over yourself. Take it as an opportunity to reflect and get gather your thoughts um and have the courage of your convictions because i disagree with you i think it isn't about people being scared to be on video i think it's about people being scared of their opinions being rubbished 
Ah, okay. Yeah. Personally, I I think that's a bigger thing. I mean, some people maybe have a bit of camera fright, but I think it's more about not having the courage of their convictions. So if you are, you know, confident in what you think, and it's just my take. You know, my take mm. is my take. It's not anybody else's take. It doesn't it? Doesn't there's not necessarily a right or wrong. Somebody else could attend exactly the same session, and take away. I mean, uh. There's a guy who spoke at LT a few years ago, Jaron Lanier, and he's one of the most divisive speakers I've seen at LT. And people came out with such different opinions and such different takeaways from that talk. So it, neither of them are necessarily right or wrong. Yeah. It was a great, you know, it was an interesting, thought-provoking session. But whatever your conviction is, have the courage of that. And I think by committing that to video you're possibly wedding yourself to that in a way that some people don't want to be wedded. I think that's a good show, actually. I think, um, I yeah, I, I get that. I think it's really interesting. Someone wants to give me a bit of advice and he summed it up. He said, there's three types of people who look at your stuff. The people who really hate you and don't like you and think your stuff is a load of crap. The people who think your stuff is brilliant, it's different, it's fresh. And then there's the people who really just take you or leave you. And he said, all you've got to do is just back then people who like you. The rest don't really matter. Well, do you know a guy called Seth Godin? Have you heard of him? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of Seth. So he talks about a thousand true fans. Yep. Um, gain a thousand true fans. And he talks about, um, you know, it is a privilege to create content and write and share things with, the, with your core audience. And the rest don't matter. You know, if you're writing stuff that they like, then, and, you know, sometimes those ideas spread and he's written multiple books about that sort of stuff. But yeah, I'm in, I'm inclined to agree. And then your mum, you know, your mum will always watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just needed to watch it through thousand devices. That's all. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I really, I really agree with that. So I guess kind of coming back to a point to, to kind of, you in the moment now so obviously you work at Fosway and and in fact let's do it this way tell me what a day in your life looks like at Fosway it's busy (laughs) (laughs) uh so I mean I work from home and my uh best friend's husband said to me a couple of years ago do you not ever get bored working from home I'm like chance to be a fine thing (laughs) um I I work four days a week, uh, so it's it's full pelt. We are always busy. Um, so Fosway has uh, two practices, so a HR practice and a learning practice. Um, and there are peaks and troughs of those at different times. So at the moment, we're in a massive learning peak. We've got the new nine grids for learning systems, digital learning coming out at the end of January. I don't know when you're going to publish this, but... Um, and obviously prep for learning technologies. Uh, we're doing learning technologies France this year as well. And they're back to back. So that's magnificent timing. <laughs> um, and then, so at the moment I wear um, a hat that covers all of the marketing stuff. So um, everything from, you know, kind of uh, the comms around the new nine grid launches um, and working with, um, you know, industry publications, articles, you know, all of that kind of stuff, prepping for the shows. And then I have a, a content hat, which is, as 
sort of historically been the bigger part of my role really at Fosway because obviously we have all of this research content and so everything that goes out the door passes by me pretty much so whether or not that's um a, a piece of uh kind of custom research um that we'll be doing or we do our annual hr realities and the digital learning realities which is open at the moment um go to fosway.com if you want to take part if you're listening to this um and all of that stuff will pass by me so the analysts do the kind of the number crunching uh will pull out the the key trends i suppose and the interesting elements of the data and then again it comes back to what i said at the beginning about stories you know all of the the thing i love about data and i'm not i'm not really like a numbers person but i love the narrative like what does that tell us and what i like about Fosway, the two things I like about Fosway so much is that one is that, you know, as much as we're looking at, you know, forward about innovation and future of work and things, or everything that we do is grounded in like the practical. And actually, if you're Jill, the L&D manager, you know, I have this fictional character in my head always. She's, she's always been with me all, all the way through my career. But, you know, if I'm Jill, the L&D manager, I'm in a kind of organization of 2000 people. I haven't got a massive budget. You know, how, how, how does any of this affect me? How, or how can I leverage any of this stuff? And how can I make use of some of this stuff? So, you know, it's that kind of pragmatic advice that we give. And then around the data, again, it's that, that narrative. So it's that it's not just about data for data's sake, like 87 people, 87% of learning development professionals think X. Mm. So what? So what? So it's so fucking what is, you know, that's what, and that's what we always, we sit there and say, well, so what? Like, what does that mean? Um, and that's, you know, that re I really love that. I really love sort of understanding the narrative and I work with such clever people, you know, they're so, you know, and they've all been practitioners in their time. So, you know, they've lived in, read this stuff you know this learning technology stuff from a, a user point of view as well um and it's so varied i yeah i get to do loads of different stuff and i i learn a lot from what i do and the people that i work with and sort of getting involved in some of the research stuff you know i'm getting to do qualitative conversations with heads of learning find out what they're doing again listen to their stories we do these round tables where, you know, I mean, you'd love to be a fly on the wall at some of our round table events. They're all, you know, Chatham House rules, but the stuff people share is just so honest and it, and people come because they sort of say, oh, it's a bit like therapy, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like I can share my problems, but also hear that other people are having similar challenges yeah. in their organisation. So it's just fantastic. It's just, it's never, it's never boring. Uh, and I really believe that there is so much we have to offer and that anybody working in-house in any of these sorts of HR or talent or, or learning roles could benefit from our insight. Yeah. And I think to have that belief in what ultimately what you're doing makes a massive difference to you know your day-to-day -day motivation yeah i think so i think the, the very first time i came across fossil it was it was the nine buck grid yeah the nine grid yeah yeah nine grid sorry and uh 
yeah, maybe maybe share a little bit about where where that came from and kind of because you know every year I know a lot of L and D folk look look mm. forward to that and whatever else. So yeah, maybe maybe share. I think it, it it's kind of like a physical manifestation, I suppose, of the insight and the data that we've got. So behind every nine grid, there's thousands and thousands of lines of data. So the vendors themselves um, fill out. Uh, a hideous, <laughs> hideous sort of a, a, a sort of like a self-assessment. Um, we also speak to their customers um, in a survey format and uh, kind of qualitative uh, feedback conversations. We also obviously pay attention to what's going on in the market, um, and so you know you you very quickly hear about trends of maybe people are jumping ship from a certain supplier or you know a new supplier is coming in and really disrupting the market whatever it might be so there's a huge amount of data both qualitative and quantitative that go go into each nine grid but david wanted uh, a model that hr folk would relate to and obviously you have the nine box grid in uh, the talent side mm. of things so it was very deliberate that he took that approach. He didn't want to just recreate a kind of another quadrant. Mm. Um, and it's typical of sort of something that we would do, that there is nuance to it. So you've got the potential and the performance axes. You've also got total cost of ownership. You don't get a lot of people talking about cost and certainly not total cost of ownership because it isn't just about the license cost. Um you know, back when people used to uh, sort of implement Moodle more, you know, fine. Oh, it's free. Well, it's not. It's not free though, is it? Because actually, you've got to pay somebody probably to set it all up for yeah. you. So where's you know, there is a cost, right? There's always a cost. Um, so that's a very basic example of thinking about total cost of ownership. Um, and you've got presence, uh, which so the size of the blob effectively on the grid will show you how sort of. Um, how much presence uh, a certain vendor has in the market and their trajectory. So are they trending? Are they trending upwards? And I think the key thing about it for me is that it gives people who are buying this stuff, you know, you walk into learning technologies any year, and I pick on learning technologies, it's not fair. It's not a negative against learning technologies. It's just because they're the biggest. But how on earth does Jill, the L&D manager, start to sift through all of, the, all of that noise? Well, you know, yeah. everybody says they do everything. Everybody's an experienced platform or a whatever. You know, there's always a different buzzword every every year or two. It's really bloody difficult, you know, to to start to sift through that stuff and start to understand actually in your context and for your unique requirements, what do you need? Um, and the thing that I really like about the Nine Grid is it gives people starts to give people a steer. And it isn't just about the top right. So it isn't just about who's in a strategic leader comp, you know, sort of zone. Because actually somebody who's, you know, sort of down here, potential performer, if you're an SME and you haven't got a massive budget, you probably don't need all those million bells and whistles on this strategic leader provider yeah. up here. So pick someone that suits you in your context. Um, and there's value. We always say there's value in every zone. So obviously all the vendors want to be, you know, high, higher up, but actually there is, there is huge value in picking a vendor that suits, you know, your size, your budget, et cetera. 
so I mean I always remember when I worked for E2 train and somebody went off and picked you know we were down to like the last two or whatever in a in a deal and it was a housing association and you know a little housing association for like Gloucestershire or something and they went off and picked a massive American suite provider why why did they you know that's just not a good decision for them because you know it's probably loads of stuff they didn't need probably massive budget probably not local support or not uk support at the time you know bad decision yeah. you know i mean i don't know how it turned out but you know at the time i remember thinking it was a bad decision so if we, you know if we can help plus we can help people make better buying decisions that's ultimately the goal there yeah and I think I think it's a really good. I think from a from a. I've only got five minutes to quickly look at something. It's really good for that. It's kind of right. Okay, visually, it's really it's it's simple, right? Like that's that's the beauty of it when you look at it. You can dig into it deeper. But actually, yeah. if you want to quickly filter out and go, actually, this this part, this, this group of people probably not for me right now. This is okay. Now I can sh- shrink in what who I need to go and kind of scope out and stuff. Yeah, so I think it's really yeah. good. Yeah, so I mean, it's interesting that the, yeah, there's some changes coming this year, um, and it, yeah, it's good. It's it, it's good to to reflect the way that the market's changing. Cool. I mean, I would say that, right? I'm biased, but <laughs> I, I I know that I would use them, and I you know would use our research even if I didn't work for Bosway and on Heart. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So so I guess kind of coming full circle now, and. Um, so right at the start of the session, I asked you what you want to be when you grow up, and you said, kind of, I dig a driver, and I think there was a footballer in there, um, and then I think we fell on journalists. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, we never really stop growing up, okay? And you know, it's it's a journey, right? So if I was to ask that question now, what do you want to be when you grow up? What what would you say? I still ask myself that all the time. So. Um... I still don't know. And I think that I suppose my career has not been a plan and it hasn't been particularly linear. Um, And actually, I did a session years ago for some youngsters, dare I say, you know, and I had this, um, had an image of a treadmill. And I, you know, and I said, like, don't be afraid to jump off the treadmill. I mean, I went to when I went to university, I did a very business driven course. And it was all about going and getting a grad job with a FTSE 100 company, you know, and success was a corner office, you know, and blah, blah, all of those sort of really 90s type of things. And I just think the world has changed. You know, I mean, I started up a business with, you know, a Dropbox account a quick email to company's house and a seven pounds a month hosting contract for a WordPress site. You know, it doesn't take much these days to be able to, to do that. Uh, and like I say, I think success comes in, in many forms. And I think balance is important for me these days, uh, having been through a period of not much balance. Mm. So the answer is, I don't know. Um, but I, would I I still I, I really like this industry um and I think that you know there is a lot more to do here and 
you know the kind of that the phrase around the war for talent and all that kind of stuff you know it's really overused but you know I heard an advert on the radio in the car today for around apprenticeships for Wales and helping people build better businesses and helping people become employers of choice all of that stuff I love to help people with their CVs and bits and pieces um I'd love to do something on the side around something like Prince's Trust or something like that when I'm when the kids are a bit bigger and I've got she says optimistically got a bit more time um but I still think there's a lot to do in helping organizations become better at hiring developing retaining people and I like working in that space I think it's full of very passionate people who are passionate about people if that is that not too many p's um and I enjoy it so what that role exactly looks like I don't know um and you know I suppose I have this funny thing where I work for an analyst but I'm not an analyst so what am I and actually I don't think it I don't think that definition sort of matters too much so there's I try not to navel gaze too much I try to just get on things come along like women in learning that I'm passionate about I'm interested in I'm still very passionate about what we do at Fosway. So I'm just quite happy to see what comes next, really. Okay, cool, cool. So right at the start, I asked you some for some numbers. Um, these numbers... Yeah, well, here we go. Yes, these numbers <laughs> um, tally to some random items. So What have I let myself in for here? You probably know the drill right now, but on Desert Island, and these are the five items, what, um, what you've managed to find. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm so rubbish at these things. The first one is an ice cube. Um, that was number line. seven. Um, Twenty-three was a picture frame. Forty-two was a boombox. Number oh, sixty-one okay. was a clay pot, and number ninety-five was a pool stick. So, what are we doing with these items, Kate? We're having a party, aren't we? <laughs> Boombox, an ice cube, and some sort of drinking vessel. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know what the pool cue's doing. Maybe I'll make some sort of shade. I'll get some like nice big banana leaf or something and okay. attach it to that. Okay. Frame. I don't know what the picture frame's doing. But yeah, the clay pot and the ice cube and the boombox. So like, that's all you know, that's all you need for a party right there. Yeah. Sounds like it. Sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could draw the picture up. You know, like you're seeing these Instagram things now where it's a frame. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. But I haven't got a phone. It's a good point. It's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good, good, good shout. That was very quick, actually. I like that. <laughs> I like that. I'm not usually good at those things. That was, that was fast. That was very fast. So, Kate, where can people find out a little bit more about you? Uh, I am everywhere at KateGraham23. Um people can check out more about Fosway via at Fosway and more about women in learning. If you search on LinkedIn, hashtag women in learning, there's a group you do have to ask to join. Uh, the, way, the way that LinkedIn sets up groups is a bit crap. Um, so that wasn't, a, uh, I don't think I had a huge amount of choice in that, but um, I always, um, you know, approve those really, really quickly. Um, and I'd love for any input suggestions volunteering anything around women in learning like i say we're looking at setting up the mentoring scheme if anyone's interested in 
being a mentee or a mentor, then definitely get in touch. Cool. Well, last question. Is there anything what I've not asked you what you would like to tell? You've asked me quite a lot. Mm. Um, no, I don't think so. I think, like, yeah, where I've been, where I am, where I'm going, that's it, right? Cool. Cool. That sounds good to me. It's been an absolute pleasure, Kate. Thank you very much for coming on the show. No, no, thank you for having me. Enjoy the rest of the evening, Kate. Bye-bye. Cheers.